Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 153. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fuleman? I am none too shabby. How about you, Arvind? Doing all right. It's been it's been busy last little bit, but um, hockey season is almost here. We have uh, the dev camp going on, which I have not paid any attention to, nor should anyone else, if you have literally anything better to do with your time, and even if you don't. The thing about dev camp is you have to remember that Doing really, really well at dev camp is like a prerequisite just to be any kind of prospect. Like most of the people that Nick Robertson is currently clowning on are going to end up in the ECHL at some point in their careers. Maybe at the peak of their careers. Or, you know, something like that. So, yeah. I I mean, it's fun and all that. It's just, it doesn't tell you very much about the NHL potential of anyone involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. So anyway, that's so it on Dev Camp. We we're are going to talk about other stuff. Oh, yeah, um, that 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 that's that's the totality of what we were going to cover with Dev Camp. Um, what we're going to cover <laughs> instead is just talk a bit about some questions surrounding the Leafs as they head into the season. So this is going to be kind of a general kind of smorgasbord of, you know, what what are the things that we find curious about the Leafs right now? Mm-hmm. And I guess the the first thing we should talk about are you know the millions of depth forwards that we have. Yeah, after the first four forwards, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander, there's a complete grab bag of people who might or might not play prominent roles um, for the Leafs. Like, it's really wide open, and there's not always a lot of clear differentiation between this all these guys. You know, like, the Leafs are clearly hoping that they're going to find out some things in training camp about who works best where and who's up to being a top six NHL winger, among other things. It's going to be what I've called the forward derby. There are a lot of people complete competing for, let's say, approximately eight jobs, mm-hmm. you know, plus someone in the press box. Um, so we thought we would just start by going through all of these contenders for various roles on the least forward group. Who are they? What are they like? Where might we see them show up? And that would at least give us some idea of what to look for in training camp when these people are competing for jobs. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Um, so, and this is this is one of those times where like you kind of miss the the lack of a Zach Hyman, mm. or sorry, you, you notice the, the the lack of a Zach Hyman, where he was always like the fifth guy, and he was like a bridge from these, you know, interchangeable flotsam forwards to the stars, and that bridge has been torn down. Yeah, yeah. There used to be more mid-level players on the Leafs. Zach Hyman was sort of the king of the mid-level players. He was a very good mid-level player. But we used to have guys like Kasperi Kapanen, mm-hmm. uh, Andreas Janssen before he completely fell apart in New Jersey last year. Players who would sort of comfortably be front runners in this conversation instead of what we have, which is Alex Kerfoot, sort of, and then a total jumble uh, of people who might not be anything or who might have been something once but may not be anymore or what have you. So there's a lot of flexibility, including who's going to end up probably at first line left wing. Yeah. That's an open question, um, which is kind of remarkable for a team that perceives itself as being a potential contender. Mm. Uh, but we'll start with the guy who has played the most for the Leafs recently and is almost certainly going to get a prominent job. It's just a question of where. It's Alex Kerfoot. I think Alex Kerfoot might have expected that he would not be playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs again this year. Mm. 
Um, if the Leafs hadn't done their little uh, quick dance with Jared McCann, it's very possible Seattle would have claimed Kerfoot in the expansion draft. But the Leafs got McCann, McCann got claimed, Kerfoot is still here. And the question with Kerfoot is, can he be a third-line center? And increasingly, it's felt like the answer is no. At least not to the level that we would hope and expect. Yeah, it seems like he's he's okay in that role, but it, it's just okay. Mm-hmm. And we might still have to ask him to do it at points, because, well, you'll see who else is competing with him for the job, and it's not like, you know, Prime Jordan Stahl is walking through that door to be 3C. Uh, but... I think the team believes, and I agree with them if so, that Kerfoot is better as a left wing to Tavares and Nylander than he ever was trying to drive a line on his own. Mm-hmm. He's a good complimentary player. You know, he's quiet, smart, does his job pretty well. Good playmaker. But he's not really going to power things from the middle the way that you would hope for from a center in your top nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We'll see. If he's at second line left wing, I'm quite sure he can do that. Uh, yeah. I have a lot, you know, him, Tavares, and Elander will work just fine. Yeah, if we've seen it work before, and we've also, yeah. you know, we've seen Tavares and Elander work with worse players or more limited players than Kerfoot. Yeah. And you might expect that this is, I wouldn't say a lock, but it like this seems like the most obvious piece in the most obvious spot uh, of all of these jumble of forwards. If he ends up at 3C again, I think something has gone not according to plan. Let's put it that way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we won't dwell on him over much because I think he's pretty well known to our listeners who have watched him. Yep. Michael Bunting is interesting. Talked about him a bit already. Yeah, and he's if maybe earmarked for a, one of the top two left-wing spots as well. Or maybe the top one itself. Which is, you know... <laughs> I'm sorry, and I know we keep hammering this, but like this is where you see what happens when you don't have any cap space. You have to get guys who are making under a million dollars and who have, in the case of Mr. Bunting, played 26 NHL games at the age of 25, soon to be 26. You see these players who are counted on to do more than they've ever done before. And it's not, you know, I'm not ruling out that Bunting can be effective in that role, and... You know, even if you're just a guy, you should be something with Matthews and Marner. But we are calling on Bunting to at least potentially fight for a job at the NHL level. That's way above anything that he's done before. Yeah. And, I mean, the, one of the things that we should note is, like, we shouldn't really be absolute with, like, okay, well, I think this person's going to be the, you know, play with Matthews and Marner. Mm-hmm. Everything is very fluid because, you know, it's just where they start effectively, where Keith puts them in the first day of training camp. And then, as we know, Keith likes to tinker. And certainly you can tinker with, you know, moving Bunting up for someone else who we're going to mention, like Richie or Andre Kasha. Or like, you know, th- there's there's going to be a lot of fluidity here. Mm-hmm. It, it Basically, we're running like the, the Jimmy VC experiment, but on both top lines now instead of just one. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, to be clear, this is the sort of thing that you do when you're in the position the Leafs are in and you just don't have spare dollars. So you, you lose a Zach Hyman. And, you know, we know with near total certainty that Zach Hyman can be an effective top six winger. And so what the Leafs have done instead is cobble together a bunch of guys who have maybe, I don't know, pulling a number out of the year, let's say a 25% chance of functioning in that role. And their hope is one of them will take the job and run with it. Mm-hmm. So... 
Bunting, I should say, you're right to point out, is in contention for this job. No one is going to have that role for any longer than they screw it up. Because there is, there's so much competition between all of these kind of fringe-level forwards. It's just kind of telling that we're auditioning players like Bunting. Now, that sounds like I'm raining on him. And I don't mean to do that. He has some attributes that I like. He had a, a shooting heater in Arizona where he scored 10 goals in 21 games this year. Uh, he's sort of considered a bit of a rat, provocateur at the lower levels, which is sounds nice. I'd like someone who made the other team mad because I'm used to the Leafs making me mad. So this would be a good change of pace. At least we want, we want some company with our misery. <laughs> if we have to be miserable, so does everyone else. And so, yeah, you can certainly see why you would like the idea of a kind of tenacious guy with a bit of finishing to play along with Matthews and Marner. And again, it's not like you have to be um, peak Wayne Gretzky to be successful with line mates like that. So... Yeah. Yeah. Any further thoughts on Bunting? Nope, not really. Let's move on to uh, Nick Ritchie. So, big oh, power forward, uh, someone who we could have drafted ahead of William Meander, and thankfully didn't. Yep. Ended up with him anyways. Um, I've I've seen Boston Boston fans online really despise Nick Ritchie. They <laughs> like, hate him. <laughs> I, I've seen so many people describe him as literally the dumbest hockey player I've I've ever seen. Yeah, so and this is this is a team that like has employed some really dumb hockey players. Very much so. So, when you look at him through the stats, he looks fine, but he looks like a guy who is tailor made to annoy people because he takes a lot of penalties. Yeah, we remarked on this before, but I can't get over how bad his penalty differential is, and I keep thinking that's not going to be fun. You know, like there will be times when he does something just absolutely brain dead. We've we've Uh, seen this. There was a game against the Leafs where I think he took two penalties uh, against us and the Leafs scored on like either one or both power plays. This is when he was in Anaheim. It is extremely possible that's going to happen to us during the season. Like, probable. Mm. Now that said, he does go to the slot and bash pucks in. And I would certainly like someone who's able to do that, playing with Matthews and Marner, you know, to pounce on rebounds, to maybe uh, facilitate tips. To give Mitch Marner another option to pass to. That's a bit of a finishing threat. So it makes a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, again, to see him button down that job. You know, he has a, a longer track record than Michael Bunting. He's clearly an established NHL player of some variety. <laughs> but it does give me a bit of pause that Boston seems to detest him. Yeah. At least in the well, online faction. Like he... He gets shots in tight, but he's not a particularly good finisher. It's like, I guess, historically, maybe you can consider him a mini Brady Kachuk in the sense that he might just shovel pucks to the net and, mm-hmm. you know, would that have a very low chance of going in or, you know, when he's in, like, a really awkward body position that results in it not being really a great shot. Um, but there is, I guess, some value to that. You, you could see how it could mesh with someone like Matthews and Marner just to have someone create some havoc there. His play driving numbers are fine, which, which, is, which is nice. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, if he plays with Matthews and Marner, he's absolutely a contender for that spot. There's, mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that there's going to be a time where, you know, they're in the offensive zone, Matthews and Marner are passing to each other, and then Richie just cross-checks someone in the mouth and takes a penalty. <laughs> just for no discernible reason, because the guy looked at him funny. Yeah, so that's something that you just have to accept as part of the package. And again, you don't get perfect players in the price range that we're shopping in. I will say this. 
in the playoffs against Montreal, especially as things have really started to go south. Part of the frustration for the Leafs seemed to be that they were struggling to get to the high danger areas towards the end. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my eye test, but also the shot map suggests Montreal was doing a pretty decent job of at least pushing shots away a little bit, um, especially in Game 7. Richie does go to the, you know, the most dangerous areas and live there. So if you're thinking the real problem is Matthews and Marner need someone who's going to crease crash, Nick Richie can do that. Yeah. And he, he I mean, might be the best contender on the roster for that particular job. He's not going to do it better than Zach Hyman, but... <laughs> and this is always the rub, you know. Like, there's no scenario that I see unless, you know, our, our next contender returns to health and is brilliant. But, like, this team got worse at first line left wing. Mm. It's just a fact. E- even if these things, you know, several of these signings work out well, Zach Hyman's a really good player and probably no one else, um, on this list is close to him. Yeah. With the penalty differential, I mean, there's some argument that penalties are correlated at the team level, right? If you take a lot right. of penalties, you also, you also draw a lot of penalties. Um, and I, I, I see that argument made a couple times. And in aggregate, it holds true. But you look at a team like Boston, they were like close to the bottom of the league in penalty differential. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not like an absolute law of like, okay, Richie took a penalty, so for sure someone will get another penalty uh, on the other team. It's, it's that, like, maybe it's not as bad as the penalty differential would make it seem, but it's still a negative. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, if you're a team that ends up, you know, minus 30 in penalty differential at the end of the year, you know, you're, you're giving up, let's say, 30 more power plays than you're getting. That can still be closer than it probably ought to be because of the even-up instinct of NHL refs. And that can still mean, you know, there are six or seven goals mm-hmm. by the end of the year that you're taking against that you wouldn't have with a player who was a bit more restrained. Um, that said, there are guys who play on the edge who, for whom their penalty differential is sort of the price you pay for their style of play. You know, they're effective, they're belligerent, they, they cause chaos, and sometimes that means more penalties than you would get from a perimeter player. Yeah. Again, you know, I can talk myself into this being a net positive for Nick Ritchie. It's just there are going to be pros and cons with him. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that Boston is just mostly mad at him now he's leaving and that he's not as bad as they think. Yeah. Um, Andre Kasha, also from Boston, also previously from Anaheim, did play with Ritchie in Anaheim. He's a right winger, though, Kasha. Or at least he's usually played right wing. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, included him here because I think it's possible, at least, for, for players to flip wings. And also because Kasha has a track record, at least in the past, of having been probably better than most of these players mm-hmm. at his peak. It's just that that peak has been, well, now we're a couple years removed from it, and it's been very hard for him to reach because he can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want some consolation, he's 25. Still so, quite young, yeah. Yeah, um, and he was very good in Anaheim, but he played three games last year. At this point, we don't have a good idea of what to expect with his concussion history, with whatever else. There's certainly a scenario where he gets a return to form, and we're looking at a good two-way forward with 20-goal, 50-point upside, and this contract looks like a steal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the most realistic scenario. In fact, it's, it isn't. You know, just based on his track record, you can't expect that. Yeah. Um, now, that said, uh, I like the bet. I like the idea of, of pursuing these kind of players. 
Um, and, and certainly he was quite cheap. Um, if he doesn't end up uh, in the top six, and again, we've said he's a natural right wing, mm-hmm. him and Richie fl- flanking whoever at third line center might make a lot of sense given their experience with each other. So, uh, something to contemplate. Yeah, it's... You, you could see, if, if the Leafs do decide to kind of want to balance things out, the best third line we could probably create is is Kerfoot, Kasha, and Richie. Yeah, and you can imagine that line being pretty decent. Again, the biggest problem is who's the straw stirring the drink on that line. You you'd hope, it's, based on history, it's Kasha, but it's just hard to bet on him being healthy. And we don't know if, you know, it, it's not it's not just a question of like, okay, you know, your body is healed now, so you are completely fine and you're back to normal. Like, there's a huge mental component to this stuff too. And there's, you know, physical degradation with injuries. Like, you, you, you might, he might not ever be able to be what he used to be. Yeah, uh, and it, it's ruthless. Hockey's a physical game, and unfortunately, sometimes that's what happens. Yeah. Um, still, someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Ilya Mikhaev has been in the, the news lately because he apparently demanded a trade. Yes. Apparently, it was about playing time, which I don't really get. Um, yeah. So, so first of all, I don't hold it against him that he yeah. wants to be traded. He's allowed to ask. The team's allowed to say no. They did. But it's like... On what basis were you getting more playing time, Ilya? Like, he wasn't that he, good. He was used <laughs> basically as, as a, just a middle six player throughout the the year. The You're mm. not going to take... So you're a winger. You're not taking Marner or Nylander's job. You're not taking Hyman's job. The only complaint is I should have been playing with Tavares and uh, Nylander. And he did for some time. And that line with Galchenyuk was actually just better. Yeah, and I'm sorry, you've gotten outperformed by Waiver Wire Reclamation Project Alex Galchenyuk. That probably suggests that you're not doing a hell of a lot. And, you know, he's on... He would have been on pace for, like, what, 10-ish goals and 25-ish points? Yeah. The, the like... thing is, like, McKay is probably a better player than Galchenyuk, but, like, it's hard to justify playing a guy who can't finish with Tavares and Nylander. Exactly. And, you know, and if he's wondering, I work so hard and I do so much on the third line, and he, he does work hard. He, he was a, a good third liner in his way. But it's like, somebody has to score on, on the top six lines, and you just cannot have guys who are offensive voids um, taking up too much space on the top lines. Yeah, so just to put some numbers on this, this is a very, very low time on ice, so, you know, it yeah. doesn't doesn't mean a whole lot. But... Uh, Mikheyev, Tavares, Nylander in 75 minutes of time on ice were actually, like, he, he spectacularly, they were bad. Under under 40% in goals for and expected goals for. Look, this is a really small sample. I, I, they would have gotten better. But it's like, you had, you had a small audition with them and it, it didn't go well. And then with Galchenyuk, that line just played a lot better. The results were, were phenomenal. Yeah, and I, I don't know what to tell you at this point. You know, I like the guy. Yeah, I get the impression that he gives it his all every shift. I think he is genuinely a good defensive winger. But if you're a good defensive winger who doesn't score very much, where you belong is probably the third line. Yeah, and I guess maybe his thought is like, well, if I go to a team, um, if I go to a different team that has less winger depth, maybe I eke out, you know, a more consistent top six role. Which, yeah, maybe, but I don't think there were that many NHL teams where Mikheyev is consistently in the top six. At least not the Mikheyev we saw last year. Right, and it, there exists the chance that he just got a little bit unlucky with his finishing last year. But mm-hmm. granted, given that it came after a pretty scary wrist injury, 
and wrists, I'm told, are useful for shooting and finishing. <laughs> um, you know, th- there is the possibility that, like, that's just a, a consequence of the injury, as, as brutal as it is. Unfortunately so, yeah. And so, I mean, he can say, like, look, I'd rather play for, I don't know, the Arizona Coyotes, who have so little going on that they might as well play me on the top line. But that's sort of a, a curious perspective. And, and as you say, I don't know that he's shown enough that he can even guarantee it on pretty much any team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's possible he just feels that he is what he was in the KHL, which was like a legitimate offensive player. And so far at the NHL, he hasn't shown that. Now, putting that aside, he's still here. Um, he seems, again, like I, I don't see that he's done anything that makes him a serious contender for one of those top left-wing jobs. He, he has to show more to get them. Mm-hmm. He has to produce more, and as simple as that. So other than that, he's probably on the third line. According to the Elliot Friedman article where this was discussed, the Leafs said, hey, we view this as a big season for you because, you know, Zach Hyman and Joe Thornton are out of the way. And I'm thinking, I guess, but I'm not confidently putting him in ahead of Richie or Kasha or even Bunting. He might be better than them. He might be worse than all of them. In which case, he winds up where he was before. So, we'll see how that develops. You know, it wouldn't stun me to see him eventually traded if this whole forward derby really works out to his detriment and he doesn't get to rise up at all. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, he's not amazing value on his contract based on what he's shown. Mm-hmm. The bet that Dubas made in signing him to that contract was that like he just had to show a little bit of offensive flair like he had when mm-hmm. he came in guns a blazing before the wrist injury and then it would have been a good deal now it's it's fine mm-hmm. but that's about it so yeah i i don't know what his trade value would even be i don't think anyone's ponying up like major assets for Ilya mckayev so yeah um david Kampf, the man i understand the least yeah or at least, like, I, I get it, but I'm concerned that I do get it and that it's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was this uber-defensive, mm-hmm. right-shooting, face-off man and penalty killer. He's a center. Hooray. He was playing for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Noted defensive stalwart. Yeah. <laughs> like, one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL lately, but okay. Um, for all we know, it wasn't David Camp's fault. Yeah. So, his contract seems to suggest we're thinking of him... As the third line center, like two years at 1.5 million, that doesn't yeah. guarantee it. But you look at this roster and you're like, are they going that way? Yeah, a, a, a t- if the plan is for him to be the third line center, or at least be a you know reasonable shot at it, um, you know that's just a weird contract because you shouldn't spend two years and 1.5 million on a on a fourth liner, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Like we apparently went out of our way to acquire this guy for this purpose, and mm-hmm. if they're thinking, as I believe that they are. Alex Kerfoot is best, second line left wing. We'd like someone different at third line center. What we're going to do is build this uber defensive third line that is probably never going to score ever, but at least has a chance of slowing the game down to a crawl. We saw a bit of this with the hyman engvall Mikhaev line. Mm-hmm. Um, they also scored a little bit. But yeah, I, I can only imagine that they're doing that. You don't get David Kampf and expect him to score ever. So... If we're using him as a third-line center, it's 
you know, he's there primarily for his defensive utility. And maybe we think, hey, we can't afford a third line of guys that can really score well. So, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm a little leery of that. And if you're looking at places to upgrade on this roster right now, the third line center spot feels like a big flashing light to me. Yeah. So. Okay. Jason Spezza? Yeah, there's not everyone. much to say. I mean, really about the next three, there's not a lot to say, um, which is Spezza, Simmons, and Engvall. Mm-hmm. Spezza, look, we can't keep... We can't keep having our bottom six being anchored by Jason Spezza, you know, defying time. Yeah, like... At some point, it's going to stop working. So much more than anyone had any right to expect from him at this age. He's awesome. He seems like a great guy. He still has these terrific offensive instincts, even though the speed is gone. But it's like, how many more years is that going to keep happening? Mm. Like, he could come into training camp, and it could just be father time has won, and he's pretty close to finished. And that would be no fault of his own. He's yeah, I mean, we saw it with Joe Thornton last year, right? Where he, yeah. he was just kind of cooked, right? And Joe Thornton, one of the best players in NHL history. It happens mm-hmm. to everyone. Yeah, it's, you know, nobody plays forever. And Spezza is now 38. So, even as a great fourth liner, which he unquestionably was last year, um, I don't know how much longer we can count on it. For the moment, you assume he's anchoring that fourth line. Mm. Um, Wayne Simmons, look, I love the guy, but is he still an everyday NHL player at this point? I, I don't know. He, he was really bad last year. I, so, I've harped on this for a while. He doesn't fit on the top lines because he can't pass. Right, and you know, some, it's something similar actually holds true a bit for Richie, which is you know what makes me a bit nervous about him. And even in Hyman's early years, that that was like a clear bottleneck, and he improved his game to the point where, you know, Hyman's not a spectacular passer or anything, but he's decent enough, and you know, he does enough other stuff well that it doesn't hold too, take too much off the table. But if you can't pass when you're playing with these great players, it just really limits them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think this is. Partially why Galchenyuk worked well with Tavares and Nidander. Like Galchenyuk has major flaws, but he can pass. He can process the game. Mm-hmm. Right? And that means he can get Nidander and Tavares the puck in situations where they can do something with it. Right? Mm-hmm. Simmons just straight up can't. It's, it's, just not, it's, not, it's never been part of this game. In the prime of his career, he was so good at other things that it didn't really matter. Yeah, and, you know, we saw... It's etched in my memory, but he had a great point-blank goal a goal scorer's goal against Vancouver, mm. the game he got injured subsequently. And he, he looked much rougher, frankly, coming back from that. I, I think he's a, he's a great guy. He's good in the room, and he will fight a couple people. But I am really concerned that based on who he is and what he means emotionally, we're going to play him probably more than we should. The way yeah. that we saw Joe Thornton do all last year. Yeah, if, if I were running this team, Wayne Simmons would be on the fourth line, and I don't think, you know, barring major injuries, I don't think he'd ever get higher than that. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre Engvall. I like Pierre Engvall. <laughs> we we apparently like him a lot more than Sheldon Keefe does. Yeah, it's so weird because you pay attention to Sheldon Keefe, and he often says, like, kind of nothing, which is an understandable PR tactic in a city like Toronto, where if you say anything, it's going to get blown up. But he goes out of his way to give Engvall a kick in the ass, like, every five games. Like, he's like, oh, man, if he just, you know, did his best and tried harder, he might be playing more or something like that. And it's really striking. 
Mm. He doesn't do that with every player by any means. So, yeah. Anyway, Engvall is still big. Moves very well for his size. Um, good defensively. He sort of reminds me of David Kampf, except taller and, you know, probably less comfortable at center. Uh, he doesn't score enough to, to really ever play a higher role. Yeah, but, like, as as a fourth-line pseudo-center, more or less. Like, him and... Spezza probably... Like, he... Spezza probably can't play center at this point in his career, where he, he was a right-winger, primarily. Um, but between the two of them, you have Spezza to take some draws. Uh, you have Engvall there to do, you know, more of the actual rangy center stuff. That seems like a reasonable place to start on, um, on the fourth line. Yeah, and if you just want to make the third line at some point with David Kampf as frustrating as possible. Maybe put Engvall on in there with him. Yeah. You know, try and really slow things down. It's like but, Condor but again, wingspan. Yeah. <laughs> it just absorbs half the defensive zone with his, the breadth of his arms. It's just, if you're conceding that your third line is not going to score very much, that is a problem. Mm-hmm. That puts more weight on your top players. So yeah. it's something to consider. Um, Curtis Gabriel, I think is a nice guy who's an AHLer who's an enforcer. He's around, but, like, I'd be surprised if he was an everyday NHL player. Um, and then Adam Brooks, uh, sort of the enduring prospect of the 2016 draft. He's, like, 25 at this point, isn't he? Yeah, because he was, like, a double overager when he was drafted. Um, now, that said, I was kind of like, okay, he's, he's kind of plateaued as a quadruple A guy, and that's basically what he is. But when he got into games last year, he did a job pretty well. Mm. Like, and so I would certainly have no objection to to having him on the fourth line with Engvall and Spezza, uh, if it comes to that. But with Simmons there, who I think has too much status to really be demoted, I'm just not sure there's room for Brooks. Um, you know, might be looking at the press box, might be back to the Marlies, but I like him. Mm-hmm. So, okay, those that, that's an inspiring set of forwards. Yeah. <laughs> look, if, are if you not, excited? If, if those names didn't excite you, look, look, we didn't mention the four superstars that he's have. That helps. Yeah. That covers up a lot of the flaws. Yeah. Um. um that said, I, they had the same superstars last year. <laughs> we know how that turned out. So, anyways. Yeah. Anyway, uh, like the basic thing is, you're counting on. You have two fantastic forward pairings, same as it ever was, that can make two lines that can beat most opposition, and. It's mostly a matter of how everything else shakes out, where where the pieces fit to facilitate that. But we, you know, we're counting on we're gonna have the the best center and right wing combinations possible. Yeah, on the top. Six. And one of the interesting things that I guess one of the bellwethers of whether someone has paid attention to the Leafs recently is how they talk about the Leafs forward core versus their defense core. Mm. Um, because you know, in the era where we had Nazem Kadri and Kasperi Kapanen and Andreas Janssen. Uh, yeah, you, the, the topic was, man, the Leafs have absurd forward depth, but that defense is awful. Mm-hmm. And you're playing Ron Hainsey yes. pairing, and he was, like, one of the better options. <laughs> so, yeah. Whereas now, the forward depth looks like this, that we just went through, you know, where you're hoping for best-case scenarios for it to really be good again. Like, you know, if Kasha is healthy, if Richie is the best ber- version of himself, if Bunting is for real, a lot of things have to go right for this to be a deep forward lineup at this point. Yes. And um, the point that I was trying to get at there is, now we actually have good defensemen. Mm-hmm. 
we have uh, Jake Musson, we have TJ Brody, and we have Morgan Riley as like a clear kind of top three. And then Justin Hall is serviceable as kind of the second guy on a on a on a on a pairing uh, to work well enough with Musson, even if we don't think Hall was particularly great. You have Travis Dermott just doing his thing. They're, they're lefty, you know, now and forever. Uh, you have, you know, a ho- whole host of people on the back end. Uh, Martin Merton has, uh, he's departed, hasn't he? Uh, sadly, but... Not from our hearts. Yeah. But yes, from the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the thing we wanted to, to talk about here was Morgan Riley. Mm-hmm. We saw this summer, the defense market was, um, to use a technical term, that's, you know, used a lot in industry. Fucking bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is exactly how I would describe it. And so, you know, we saw big trades for Seth Jones, who then signed a gargantuan extension. We saw huge extensions for Zach Wierenski. Um, yeah, really, uh, Darnell Nurse is who mm-hmm. I'm thinking of. Sorry, blanked for a second there. Yeah. But, yeah, so, so like, the market is kind of seemingly overheated right now. And right, and Chris Morgan Johnson actually had a piece on this. Yeah yesterday with um essentially talking about like what is Kyle Dubas going to do about Morgan Riley? Morgan Riley's in the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. He you know okay, so we've remarked a couple times on this, and this is not a unique thought. Johnson mentions it in his piece as well. Two things get the defenseman paid, points and time on ice. Riley has both. Yep. Um now at the same time again as we've discussed many times on this podcast and again this is not a unique insight Riley is terrible defensively he's really really bad defensively Yeah the most you can say is that he does a lot of reasonably difficult work yeah and wins on net but it's always through offense and you know the shutdown pairing for the Leafs at this point is pretty established as Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that they do everything you know, it doesn't mean that Riley has the easiest job in the world or anything, but he's not being counted on to be this absolute tough, hard minutes number one defenseman. That's not what he, he's good at, and that's not what the Leafs have him doing. Right. His competition now is much more in line with, like, league average than it is with a guy who gets exclusively hard match to top end competition. Mm-hmm. Which, again, is fine. Like, this is a good way to arrange the top one yes, defenseman. Yes, this, this uses smart, Riley's yeah. skills. Yeah. Which are real, to be clear. You know, we always want to strike that balance where we say, here are his flaws. They don't mean that he's a useless player who should be thrown on the scrap heap. But with the contract expiring and the Leafs in the circumstance that they're in, they have a tough choice between three options that we've laid out here. And I think, you know, Chris Johnson has mentioned it, but a lot of people are not comfortable with how this seems to be shaping up. Uh, The first option is what we call the own rental where it's just you keep him for the duration of his contract and you let him walk and people hate this uh we did it with uh james van Riemsdyk. we did it with zach hyman for example you can say that we did it basically with any player who we didn't extend and jake gardner tyler bozak yeah and it's tricky for sure the leafs perceive themselves as contenders it's worth saying and when you're a contender you make moves that prioritize your own success in the present tense, like you are trying to win while John Tavares is still a highly effective player. Um, possibly you're trying to show Austin Matthews that you're committed to competing, you know, with an mm-hmm. eye to his eventual say in Toronto. So I think a lot of people nonetheless say, hey, look, uh, we kept all these players in the past. Where did it get us out in the first round? Whoop-de-doo. And 
certainly once you've gone out in the first round, it always looks really stupid. Yes. Um, with benefit of the hindsight, you know, if they win a couple of rounds or heaven forbid ever win a cup, all of these transactions get dusted with gold. Um, but it's, it's a difficult decision. Uh, I have to say, I think that this is a very real possibility and I totally understand why people are not super happy about it. Um, but I certainly think that this is something that Dubas is considering right now. You know, he's made remarks about the difficulties of extending people in this environment. So, that's one option. Mm -hmm. The next option is an extension. And, as you've said, that's potentially a pretty scary prospect. Yeah. It's very scary. Um, because Morgan Riley, he's on what's commonly viewed as a, as a very good deal. Um, and it is in, in a sense, but a lot of the, you know, player evaluation models don't view him, especially last year, as being incredibly good. And on that deal, it's it's not maybe as much of a value as people tend to think it is. Going forward, I see essentially zero world where Riley lives up to his next deal. He's a guy who's tailor-made to be overpaid because he plays a lot of time on ice. He gets a lot of points. He can be on the power play. He'll... And he's genuinely very good at things that are obvious, mm -hmm. right? His offensive skill is, he's genuinely one of the best offensive defensemen in the league, right? There, I don't think there's really any disputing that. Mm -hmm. And if he was league average defensively, he would, if he was league average defensively, he'd be Chris Letang, mm -hmm. basically. Uh, the problem is he's not league average defensively. He's significantly below it. And it's just very hard to see his next deal, which is going to probably start in the eights do really well. I wouldn't want that on a one year with Riley, let alone with multiple, with, you know, many, many years of term, which is what he will command. And someone will pay him that. That's the thing. Uh, based on this bonkers market where we saw very fine defensemen, sometimes less than very fine defensemen, sometimes questionable defensemen getting paid into the nines um, on term deals uh, or long deals in the eights, it looks like the market for a defenseman of Riley's reputation is going to be there. Um, now, maybe the Colton Pareko deal, which was eight years at 6.5, starting in 2022, you might look at that and think hey, maybe that's a slightly saner comparable. It still has some bonkers term on it mm -hmm. um, and some downside risk. Pareko also has not been as great lately. And he's had some uh, injury issues, hasn't he? Yeah, I think Pareko for a long time got a lot of, um, a lot of credit as one of the defensemen that both old school and new school fans could agree on. You know, he's big, he's tough, um, he can blast the puck in the net, but he's all, he also used to have good fancy stats. Lately, that's been a little dicier. And if you're paying him until he's 36, 37, that becomes a bit more of a questionable proposition. That said, 6.5 is not that exorbitant in the current market. So if Riley comes in at 6.5 for a term, I have to admit, I'm still a little uncomfortable with it, but I think about it more. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I expect his market is higher than that. So I don't, as much as I like him, as he seems like a terrific guy, a leader in the locker room, as much as I think that he has genuine skills, I think this next extension is going to be ugly. And that's without getting into the fact that I think a lot of Riley's gifts are physical. And as he experiences physical decline he probably will be exposed more. Like I'm thinking as a contrast to Jason Spezza, who we were just discussing, 
mm-hmm. who has declined physically, you know, despite all the work he's done to, to minimize it, but is still an exceptionally smart player. So he's still able to be effective in a death roll at 37, 38. Yeah. I don't know if Riley has that coming. You know, I've just never had the impression that he always reads the play defensively very well. Um, so that that's another thing hanging over it. I, ultimately, I don't think I want the next contract. So that rules that option two for me. Would you consider it or you don't want any part Basically, of it? Basically, no. Mm. I, I think we already have one contract that I know is going to age badly in John Tavares. I don't think we can afford to add another. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you really think that you're close, you can say fuck the future, live for today, and just sign Riley and say, we're going to make a run now. But uh, I don't blame anyone for having some questions as to how competitive the team is now. Mm-hmm. And there are also some people who think you can get better in the present tense or clo- or not much worse trading Riley. Yeah, that's that would be my thought. Like, even if you just get picks for him. If Riley was a rental this year, he would go for a first-round pick easily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, considering that he, he is a de facto rental at this point if you trade him, unless the other team wants to extend him, which they might well. Mm-hmm. Maybe you do explore a trade. Um, now, I tend to expect Dubas isn't going to do this, because if he were going to make this trade, the time to do it was before rosters got set. It was around the time of the draft, free agency, when there were a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, teams have a better idea of what they're doing at this point and have, at least to their own satisfaction generally filled the roles that they think need to be filled. Maybe as the season goes on, they find that they were wrong and that their team is not as good as they hoped. But right now, a lot of teams have an idea of what they're supposed to be kind of set. That said, if you're going to do it, you think, okay, what does Riley command in a trade? You have to at least explore the market, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And maybe you either, you can just say, I'll keep the futures and I'll, I'll try and rush Rasmus Sandin along a little bit. Yeah. A bit of a nervy, nervy prospect, but you can also say, I'm going to flip those picks to do something better, and then I'm not having to play, say, David Comp at 3C anymore. And that, that would make me feel better <laughs> in a lot of ways. So I would at least think about it. But realistically, uh, that's not going to happen unless the wheels fall off this season and we're out of a playoff spot by the deadline. That's what it seems like to me. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people, I, actually, it was just going around Twitter this morning before we started recording, saying, I really think that you could get a haul for for Riley. And people pointed to the Rasmus Ristolainen return, and I was like, yeah, although that was like the silliest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, so that, that's applicable that, that is. But... That's a team misevaluating a player, at least from yeah. our perspective. Yeah, and maybe someone will over Judge Riley. I mean, I'm sure he's generally well thought of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, so that's that's hanging over it. And that is probably in some ways a more comforting outcome is to trade him because you don't have the pain of then he walks for nothing after another presumably playoff loss, which is what I think a lot of people are preparing for mentally. Yeah, well, that's always the most likely outcome, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I don't think this is, is easy. I would at least be listening on offers for Riley. You know, I won't say for sure I would trade him sight unseen, but yeah, I think about I, it. I mean, you don't trade him for nothing, but... yeah. I'm, at this point, I think the boat has sailed on trading him this season. Yeah. So the reality is, is that... It's own rental or extension. Yeah. And maybe the extension isn't going to happen. Maybe it's it's just we're priced out, but... Yeah. Well, and I, sir, I don't want to be holding the bag when Riley signs his next deal. Like, this is... To me, this is the, a deal where you say, 
you know, thank you for your service. You were a great leaf. You were a great servant to the team. You know, mm-hmm. Godspeed. Yeah. Go get that bag like yeah, Zach Hyman did out of Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and again, like, like we've been very consistent about this. There, there is no, um, there should be no demonization of Riley for chasing the money. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, it, like he's done everything that could have been hoped for from him, really. Um, except learn to play defense. But, um, <laughs> no, that's not fair. Like, but he's given it his all. He's been great. He's yeah. been hardworking. He's been through some absolutely dreadful Leaf teams. He's a, got the, the temperament of a captain. You know, the, the, there's a lot that I like about him. He seems like a really great yeah. guy. It's just, you know, sometimes you have to make cynical decisions. And Dubas appears to have passed on the one which was maybe the most determined, which was just to trade him. Mm-hmm. But uh, that doesn't mean that we have to compound it by making an extension that we're going to regret. Yep, I agree completely. Okay. <laughs> and now... Uh, the moment you've all been waiting for. The all-or-nothing Amazon series. So yeah, apparently last season, um, the Leafs allowed unprecedented access. I- I'm sure it was pretty precedented, but they allowed... Uh, <laughs> well, a... it, can't, it can't be unprecedented access, because the same like, about 30 fucking teams have given Amazon the same access in, in various sports. <laughs> like Man City highly done precedented it. access. Yeah, the, the New Zealand um, rugby team, the All Blacks, yeah. I think is their nickname, have done it. Um, Borussia Dortmund has done it. Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, Tottenham Hotspur yeah. have done it. And, like, they ha- by the way, um, for anyone who's not a soccer fan, Tottenham had, like, an absurdly tumultuous season when that happened. Mm. Like, they fired their coach, really, their beloved coach, uh, early on. They hired, uh, I guess, like, one of the more notorious uh, coaches in, in soccer afterwards and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, even then, it wasn't that interesting <laughs> if you weren't a big fan of the team and just wanted to see the inside dynamics of how things worked. Mm-hmm. I, and I do think, and Rick Westhead, who's uh, one of the most bona fide journalists in hockey, you know, he has infinite credibility because he's one of the people who's been following up on the Chicago Blackhawks scandal, you know, and he's really dogged and determined. But he said uh, a couple of weeks ago when this was, when the release date was announced, he said, this is PR. The team has control over what content goes into it it's not a real documentary yeah and that's a bit ruthless and it doesn't mean that it can't still be interesting to people but i don't think he's wrong no um, he's 100 yeah. percent correct it's absolutely yeah. pr the, the leafs aren't doing this out of the goodness of their heart this is the same no. team whose um this is the same team whose you know twitter profile or twitter um i guess presence is literally just hey we just signed a guy that's it mm-hmm. like there, there's the, the leafs don't care about really engaging with fans they don't have no. to yeah, they have a locked-in enormous fan base. Uh, and so the result is mostly not to do anything that uh, would upset the boat. It, it, and, yeah, it's very much yeah. a first-do-no-harm thing. Mm-hmm. Which, which, Frank, I mean, to be clear, this is not a bad thing. I said last time we were here, I hate it when brands try to be cool. Yeah, uh, and th- there can be worse things than that for sure. And, and also, like, look, that's the whole ethos of hockey, and we've complained about it, you know. Teams and players aren't permitted to show personality. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that that will probably have an impact here. I doubt anyone will be permitted to be as interesting as I expect. Now, that said, I decided to go to the good people of Twitter with a poll on this. And I asked, are you planning to watch um, any of this or how much? I, my options were watch the whole series, watch some of the series, or watch none of the series. 
And a outright majority of people said they wanted to watch the whole thing. 54% mm. of the apparently 2,400 people who responded. That's crazy. Uh, I guess people have passions about this series. I gotta tell you, I don't want to see any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, you'd have to do the Clockwork Orange thing where my eyelids are pulled open. I don't... First of all, how it ended. But second of all, I can't even conceive of it being allowed to be like an engaging disaster mm. you know what i mean there'll be a lot of pious homilies about how we're gonna work hard and give it 100 percent and learn from our mistakes and stuff i don't give a shit about any of that <laughs> will they be allowed to to really express some stuff maybe there'll be some stuff about how difficult it is to run a team in the pandemic and i i sympathize with that but i, I don't know if you get five episodes of material out of it yeah i mean i think you know the first however many episodes before there's six episodes or five episodes or how many i thought it was five okay whatever so if there's n episodes the first n minus one episodes i think are only going to appeal to leafs fans and then the the last episode is going to appeal to everyone who hates leafs fans yes so everyone else basically (laughs) (laughs) the last episode the last like if the viewing i'm sure amazon has this stuff on their back end right like the the viewing demographics for the first five episodes like 95 percent people in toronto and then for the last episode, it's going to be like 25% people in Toronto. Yeah. Like, ah, anyway. I, I totally would understand, by the way, if this happened to the Habs, I would probably watch the oh, last 100%. I would, I would have <laughs> gifts of it tattooed on my eyelids. <laughs> it would be so beautiful. And But you know what? That's how it is. They won. Our yeah. team lost. But from a perspective of a Leafs fan, I'm thinking, okay, so the ending is going to be frustrating as hell but i i don't know that there's going to be that level of content and maybe this is just how i approach things as a fan i I, think it's gonna be really really boring the same way like you can have the best documentaries in the world on this right like hbo did an amazing job with um hard knocks the first few seasons it was out now it's gotten boring because everyone's wise to it no no one says anything that interesting yeah right it's it's sanitized uh yeah the same is true of the hbo 24 7 documentary Mm-hmm. for like when they did the the Leafs Red Wings like the first time they did it it was, it was kind of neat because teams almost didn't realize how how to react right you got that mm-hmm. legendary Boudreaux clip um yeah. but you know since I, then it's eh. I mean this is a thing and it's certainly not specific to hockey but you see it a lot in hockey uh, where yeah it's it's a first you said first do no harm it's like a first don't be interesting where you literally can't risk saying anything that someone might react to. I've already I've heard it even uh, about draft prospects, where by the time they get to the, the interview stage, they've been so coached um, with all the preparatory stuff and job interviews that they don't give an interesting answer. They all say the same things. I remember hearing that, like, I think, I forget if, what team, uh, he said this, but Matt Barzal, when he was in the draft, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some team asked, you know, why should we pick you? Which, by the way, it's a dumb fucking question. Yeah, like a good player. Yeah, yeah well, like what? The, what's the best case answer? Because I'm a good player. Well, and he said something which is actually very nondescript, which many people, many sports have said, which is, if you don't pick me, you're going to regret it. Mm-hmm. And apparently, that turned the team off to him. I hope it was Boston. <laughs> or sorry, I that turned Mars all off to that team. I should to be more clear. And it's like, how how does that turn you off? He's literally saying, <laughs> I'm going to be good. So that's why you should pick me. By the way, whoever it was probably does regret it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, if you do so, a redraft, Barzal goes, what, like, fifth at worst? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, and so I just I think this sort of anodyne mentality is going to infest it. Now it's possible it will be more interesting than I expect. Um, I and don't to know. be clear, other, if you're yeah. someone who's excited about it, like be excited about it. <laughs> like yeah. we're we're not like shitting on the idea. Yeah, of it. I'm not telling anyone else how to feel about this. And there were several people who replied to me. Um, people who you know are smart and incisive hockey fans who are very engaged who are like it's crazy that you aren't even interested in this and i'm like maybe maybe like maybe I, i'm just you know nuts and exhausted if, i do if, also think that yeah sorry yeah, I, i'm slightly more interested in it than you i get the sense like mm. if you're interested in zero out of ten i'm maybe like a, a four out of ten i'll watch the first i'll probably watch the first episode for sure and then see if it engages me there is a zero percent chance i watched the last episode <laughs> zero percent chance you could just put the Benny Hill theme over it. And it's like, no, 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 anyway. But, um, yeah, so, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I also think that some of it is going to be pretty galling. And Down Goes Brown on Twitter remarked on this. Because, obviously, when they're shooting in the present tense in January, February, March, they don't know that the Leafs are going to get clobbered against the Habs. Now, of course... At the edit stage, at the production stage, they know then, and they can prepare things accordingly. But there'll be a certain amount of footage that is um, <laughs> ominous and foreboding with hindsight. But there, mm. there's also going to be a lot of um, good times, friendly stuff about what a great guy Joe Thornton is, and everybody goes and plays go karts and stuff like that. Yeah, like and, there'll be there'll be lots of you know B roll of them golfing. Yeah, you know, we're bonding and we're growing as people. And I want to emphasize, I don't hold that against anyone for doing. It's great. They should be friends and f build the team bond and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I am going to want to claw my eyes out before I get through five seconds of that. Because I'll be like, <laughs> what good did it do you? <laughs> and I know that that's not fair. They're people. They're not just performative athletes. But Jesus Christ, you lost to the Habs. I can't entirely hand wave that away yeah i just can't so <sighs> anyway so my answer to all or nothing is nothing but... <laughs> all right that seems like a as good a place as any to to finish things up uh so thank you to everyone for listening you can catch all of mine and fulman's work at pensionmanpuppets.com you can also follow us on twitter at rv and at fulman uh thanks again for listening we'll see you soon